In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints of God, we are today right on the edge of Lent, which is a 40-day season of repentance and prayer. It is the great uh, emphasis of faith in the church, of trusting in the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus for us in our place. And it's wonderful as we stand here right on the brink of this season to hear the gospel text that we just heard read. Jesus going down to Jerusalem with his disciples, going there to be falsely accused, to be whipped and mocked and flogged and pinned to a cross and buried and raised. We will go with him, as it were. We will walk alongside of him as we meditate on his passion in this season. And it starts now. The gospel text in front of us has two parts. And they go together. The first part is the teaching of our Lord Jesus. His teaching his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and there suffer, die, and be raised. And the text notes, and this is quite emphatic, that the disciples did not understand what Jesus was telling them. The second part of the text recounts the encounter that our Lord has in Jericho, or right outside of Jericho, with the blind man, Bartimaeus. A man who could not see physically, but who knew exactly who Jesus was. And there's a great irony in these two accounts being right next to each other. And really the great lesson for us in the text. And that is that this blind man sees more clearly than the disciples do. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But first we have to consider the ignorance of the disciples. Jesus says it in plain words. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. Jesus is teaching his disciples the very central point of the gospel, the central point of our faith, the entire purpose of his coming into our flesh, that is, to bear up our sin, to die in our place, to be the sacrifice, to take away God's wrath. Jesus is always pressing toward the cross and toward the tomb. But the disciples don't get it. Luke, and this is an important point here, Luke wants us to understand that the disciples don't understand when he writes this gospel. In fact, he emphasizes it three times, their lack of understanding. Uh, Luke 18, verse 34. But they, the apostles, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And, in fact, that last phrase is more emphatic in the Greek. It's in the imperfect, which means ongoing past action. Jesus was continually teaching them these things, and they were continually not understanding what he was saying. But contrast this with Bartimaeus. Jesus and his disciples come along to Jericho, and there's a blind beggar there on the side of the road. He hears the crowd coming and he cries out, Who's that? And when he learns that it's Jesus, 
he starts yelling, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy, have mercy. This man has faith. He understands who Jesus is and he has faith in Jesus. Faith that can't be stopped. Bartimaeus continues to cry out. And by the way, we know his name Bartimaeus from the Gospel of Mark. We even know that his father's name was Timaeus. We know that there was two of them there from Matthew, but Luke just tells us about this one. He cries out and the crowds try to stop him. Like they tried to stop the mothers from bringing children to Jesus. But the people around Jesus are always trying to edit who gets through. Trying to filter out the beggars as if Jesus had more important things, more important people to tend to. But He doesn't. He wants the children and He wants the blind and the poor and the sick and the sinners. He wants this blind Bartimaeus and He wants you. One of, the, one of the difficulties, perhaps, of being a pastor, and this is a, a difficulty and a joy, is you know how it is in normal daily conversation when you ask someone, how are things? And they say, fine, or great, or whatever it is. You know how? Well, oftentimes when I ask people that question, they'll actually tell me how things are. And you have told me how things are. I know that each of you, in one way or another, is mourning. Because we live in a, we live in a world full of loss. You're, you're mourning the loss of your own health. You're, you're mourning the loss of your, of your relative's health, of your friend's health, of your uncle's health, or your husband's health, or your mother-in-law's health, or your child's health. You're mourning the death of someone that you love. You're mourning the tragedies that we live in. You're mourning because this life is a life of loss. For you, look at Bartimaeus. He teaches us what to do. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. For dear saints, when our lives are at the end and we've run out of breath and there's nothing else for us, we will have Jesus there. We will have Him. Even if the entire world is taken away, all of our life, all of our health, all of the things that we love and treasure, even when all of these things are gone, we will have Jesus and we will have His mercy. Lord, have mercy. Bartimaeus has faith. And he cries out to Jesus. Jesus stops. He stops the whole crowd that's traveling with him. And he commands the man to be brought to him. And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, to see again. And Jesus says, see again. Your faith has made you well. And the man's eyes are opened. And he sees Jesus. And he praises God. And all the people around see it and join in. And this is really something. That this blind man begging on the side of the road going into Jericho has more spiritual insight than the apostles who are receiving their tutoring straight from the Lord Himself. This is the way it is with Jesus. It is the way it is with our God. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong. The glorious treasures of God 
are often hidden from our eyes so that we know his goodness by faith and by faith alone. Imagine for a moment that you are one of these disciples of the Lord. And you're beginning to understand who Jesus is. That this Jewish man who called you from fishing or from collecting taxes or whatever it is, this guy who stands about as tall as you, who has to borrow your razor to shave the edges of his beard, this man is the Christ, the Messiah. And you're beginning to understand that he's even more than that about how he is God in the flesh, the one who has come down to save the world, the one who is going to accomplish salvation. You're beginning to grasp it, although it's difficult, you're beginning. And now Jesus is going to teach you how that salvation is going to be accomplished. That he's going to be handed over to the Jews, to the high priests and Sadducees. That he's going to be falsely arrested, falsely accused and condemned. And then he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles to be whipped and mocked and spit upon, and beaten, and executed. Think of it. You're beginning to understand who Jesus is, that He is the Lord and giver of life, and now He's trying to teach you about His death. You and I would have a tough time understanding it as well. Because God always hides His riches and His treasures in humility. His glory is always cloaked. His majesty is a hidden majesty, hidden from our eyes and revealed only to faith. And it is the same way for us today. You and I would have had a tough time understanding what Jesus was teaching because we have a difficult time understanding what he teaches now. I'd like you to imagine something else with me. We talked about this on Wednesday night when we were studying the large catechism together. Imagine if, and I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper, imagine if instead of a drink of wine, the altar guild were to prepare the altar up here with little $1,000 bills rolled up in the glasses. Instead of on the patent, that's the plate that we use to hold the Lord's body, if instead of on the patent we had a, a little piece of bread, there was a golden coin. <laughs> Just imagine. You come up for the Lord's Supper and you receive a golden coin. And the elder comes by and you take your thousand dollars. Imagine how things would be different. Now, I suspect, because my imagination does the same sort of thing, that your first thought is, oh, how many people there would be lining up for instruction class. <laughs> how many people would be clamoring to become members of the church. But that's not the, the kind of imagining I'm after. I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about your own longing and understanding of the Lord's gifts. I suspect that after a few times of this practice, that a few of you would mention to me as you leave the service, Pastor, we ought to have the Lord's Supper more often. <laughs> but what value, what value does the Lord Jesus have for us in His Supper? His own words are the testimony. This is my body given for you. This is the blood of the New Testament 
shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. What is the value of that? What if someone came to me, dressed in a nice suit, suit and tie, drove up a nice car, they pulled me aside and they say, Brian, I would like to buy the body and blood of Jesus. How much? Name your price. I'll take it to the congregation, I tell them. So what do you think? A thousand dollars? A million dollars? A billion dollars? The entire wealth of the United States? All the gold and silver and jewels that exist on this earth piled into one gigantic mountain of wealth? How about the world itself? And we'll throw in the moon and the Milky Way and the entire... How about that? The entire universe. Are we close? What is there in this world to match the value of the Lord of what the Lord Jesus has put on the altar this morning for you. But it is hidden. He hides Himself under bread and wine. His very body and blood for your forgiveness. The price that paid for your ransom. Not gold and silver, but His holy precious blood, His innocent suffering and death. And He gives it into your mouth. There is no way we could put a value on that. I mean, you say, this is not a fair comparison. But Jesus perhaps get close, gets close when He says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? Here, still, Jesus gives to you, to your soul, its life and salvation and eternal peace. Here, all the treasures of heaven, the treasures of heaven, are handed over to you. But our eyes don't see it. The gifts are hidden. Like the disciples who were unable to see in the suffering and death of Jesus, their own joy of life and salvation, our eyes don't see God's gifts as well. Hidden in humility, hidden in weakness. But like Bartimaeus, we have the Lord's word. We, from our blindness, cry out to Him for mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. And He does not begrudge our poverty. He does not scorn us because of our sin. He, our Lord Jesus, opens to us the treasury of heaven and gives us the most wonderful and precious thing of all. His body. His blood. His forgiveness and mercy for you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.